Well, good morning to you. Welcome here. So glad you could join us. Um, I need to uh, give, a, give a big shout out to, to my wife this morning. It's this morning, or actually this afternoon, is our 12-year wedding anniversary. Um, so it's, yeah, I have been blessed um, by the grace that she has extended to me. She's in the kids' wing this morning, helping with the... Um, Children's Church. We are in Acts, continuing our study. Um, we are in chapter 9 this morning, so if you have a Bible or a Bible app or something of the sort, you can go to Acts chapter 9. Um, but before we jump into the text, let's just take a moment to pray. Father God, we come before you and uh, we thank you. We thank you for your son, Christ. Uh, we thank you for his um, death in our place. Uh, we thank you for his resurrection, God, to give us hope. Lord, and we pray as, as we look into your word this morning that uh, your spirit would open our hearts and our minds to understand and to believe the truth of who you are. Uh, yeah, in the name of Jesus, we pray that. Amen. Acts chapter 9, we have a fantastic story of Saul and his um, coming face to face with Jesus. Uh, so Saul is a dude that we have run into um, a couple times already up to this point in Acts. Uh, the first time we see Saul is he is there at Stephen's um, stoning, and they're laying their jackets before them, a sign of honor to him. He is approving of Stephen's stoning. Um, and then in chapter 8, it says that um, Saul started to, the word they use, ravage the church, uh, going from house to house, dragging away men and women, anybody who believes in Jesus Christ, and throwing them in jail. Um, then we get to chapter 9. And it says this, that, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, he was breathing threats and murder. Like this was the air he was breathing, was hatred, was anger toward Christ followers. Like, it's pretty intense. And so he had so much anger towards them, he went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. A little bit farther on in Acts, in Acts chapter 22 and Acts chapter 26, Paul is giving his testimony. Um, and he gives us actually a little bit more detail even into the extent of the persecution. Um, not only was he there approving of Stephen's death, holding their jackets, um, you know, breaking into people's homes. I get this picture of him just kicking doors down and just like, you follow Jesus, you're coming with me, um, throwing him in jail. Um, he says later on in his testimonies that when those that he threw in jail came up, their trials came up, and they're like, hey, what are we going to do with them? Paul said, my vote was to kill them. That he said he threw his lot in there to have them executed um, because of their belief in Jesus Christ. It also says that he, he also, in his own testimony, 
He also says that he tried to get them to blaspheme, which is to speak against God. Because if they did that, then it would be so much easier for him to get them sentenced to death. So he was trying everything he could to take down the church. It says um, in his testimony and his defense to King Agrippa later on, he says that he was furiously enraged at the Christians. Furiously enraged. He was insanely angry. So angry, like he was driven mad with anger. So this is the guy that we, uh, we see here. Now Saul, he grew up in Tarsus, which is way up, up north. Um, but when he was a young boy, he got... Uh, he tells us later on in Galatians, I think it is, that he got trained by Gamaliel, who was one of the leaders in the synagogue. Um, Gamaliel was the guy that stood up and just previously was like, hey, if it's of God, you can't stop it. But if it's of men, it will die. So that was Gamaliel. That was the guy who trained Saul. So Saul has a lot of stuff religiously, you could say, that was going for him. All the things that he would take pride in. Later on, you read about it that um, he says, all the things that I could have boasted in, that I did boast in, he's like, I count them all as dirty, bloody rags now. They're nothing to me. They're worthless compared to Christ. But he was um, born to the tribe of Israel, which is you know, God's chosen people. So he's like, we are God's chosen people. He was born into the tribe of Benjamin, which you know, pretty prestigious tribe. Um, he was raised by Gamaliel, who was pretty well-known in the church, um, he, according to the law, he says himself, I was faultless when it came to keeping the rules. Um, so very legalistic in the sense of I've done all these things. And so the Christians teaching that it's not about what you've done, but it's about what Jesus has done that makes you righteous, that gets under his skin a little bit, right? Um, because everything he's got is worthless. Because it's not about what you've done, it's about what Jesus did. That's the truth we stand on. So he was so intent on taking down the church that he proactively went to the high priests. This wasn't just like somebody said, hey, you know, Saul, we've got a job for you. You need to go and do this. No, this was him being so angry and so intent on taking them down that he went. He said, hey, this is what I want to do. Everything I've been doing here, I want to go and take that all over the place and do it everywhere. So can you give me authority from you as a high priest to go to these other foreign cities and find anybody who follows Jesus, tie him up, drag him back here, throw him in jail, and then we'll have trials, and we'll you know, see if we can get some of them executed. This is his goal. Now, I don't know about you, but like, normally somebody who goes and asks somebody for a specific certain job, normally they really want that job. It gives you just a little bit of a glimpse of where Paul was going, or Saul, where he was going in his life. The reason he has two names, Saul, Paul, um, Saul is his Hebrew name, and Paul is his Greek name. So God called him to go preach to the people who weren't Jews, so that's why he starts by going, going by Paul later on. Um, it's a little piece of information for you. So he was obsessed with taking down the church, but then he met Jesus. Amen. So he was on his way to Damascus. It was about 200 and some kilometers northeast of Jerusalem. So on his way, uh, in verse 3, <coughs> excuse me. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Man, I love that question. 
It's awesome that with one question, Jesus can get to the heart of the issue. I mean, we saw that through all of Jesus' life. He would come and he'd ask one question, and often people would just stop talking. But I love that question for a couple reasons. First off is he says, Saul, Saul. God knows his name. God knows him. Even the enemies of God, he knows intimately and deeply. That's incredible that he comes and he calls him by name, Saul. Another thing that I find awesome about this question is that Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? Jesus took it personally. Now, like, I don't know if in this whole bright light, heavenly realm vision thing that um, Saul was trying to, like, make out a figure. Later on, he talks about seeing Jesus. Um, but I don't know if he was, like, trying to make out, like, persecuting you. Like, is, are you one of the people I threw in jail? Or, or, like, trying to figure out who it was. Because Jesus took it personally. Yeah, why are you persecuting me? So, like, I don't know about you, but, like, every time you are mocked or ridiculed or sidelined or rejected or put down because of Jesus, Jesus takes it personally because he is there with you because he's the one inside you that's actually causing that persecution because when we walk around with the light, which is Jesus, and we walk into this world of darkness, we shine that light in the darkness, and the darkness doesn't like the light, so they lash out at the light bringers. And the light is Jesus. So when we're persecuted for Jesus' name, he is there with us, and he takes it personally. I also find it interesting that if Paul tried to answer the question, like, why are you persecuting me? Like, what would his answer be? Well, a bunch of people are saying that you're not dead, but I just met you. with one question, why are you persecuting me? So his response, I think because of the glory of seeing the resurrected Jesus in power and majesty, he only had one response. He says, who are you, Lord? That word Lord meaning master, the person in authority. Jesus responds, I am Jesus, the one who you are persecuting. And then he gives him a command. Rise, enter the city, and you'll be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. He was blinded by the light. Now everybody can sing that song in their head. Um, Saul rose from the ground, but he saw nothing, even though his eyes were open. So they had to lead him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Man, can you imagine what was going through his head in those three days? Just like, I don't know, I'm just, you can imagine it. Um, but it says he was not eating or drinking. He was fasting and praying. And during that time, as he was fasting and praying, the Lord appears to another guy. In verse 19, it says, There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. 
And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, calls him by name, he knows our names. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. Okay, this is just complete parenthetical side note here. Straight Street in Damascus still has people living in it today. You can look it up online. It's the longest occupied habitation street that I think we can think of and know of, which is pretty cool that Ananias said, go to Straight Street, because that's where Saul is, and you can actually look at Straight Street today. Um, sorry, that was just a side note. That aside, um, God shows up to Ananias, a disciple, who followed him and says, hey, this is what I want you to do. Now, I don't, I don't know if I blame Ananias for his response of like, really, Lord? I've heard about this dude. Right? Like, he's caused your church a lot of pain in Jerusalem, and I know he's here with the authority of the high priests to do the same thing. Ananias, in his response to the Lord, he says, I've heard it from many people. It's not like there's just one rogue person coming to Damascus and be like, hey, you know, Saul's not doing some great stuff, so just watch out. No, it was many people. Earlier on, it actually tells us that the church from Jerusalem was scattered about through the nations because of the persecution that arose. People are fleeing from Jerusalem, and they're going through Damascus, and Ananias is hearing this, dude, this just happened. We're out of here, you know? So he comes, rightly so, a little fearful. You know, Lord, are you sure? This Saul of Tarsus? I mean, I know another Saul. I mean, he's from Capernaum, but you know, like, Tarsus Saul? He's like, yeah, that's the guy. I love God's response to him. Uh, he says, go, for he is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Told him, go, he's my chosen instrument. And he must suffer for the sake of my name. I find that interesting. He says he must suffer. No, it's not like God was saying he has to suffer because he needs to be punished for what he's done. No, because Jesus took his punishment. But to be a Christian, to follow Jesus, we are guaranteed that we will suffer. That's a promise. Jesus said it. He's like, if they persecuted me as your leader, they will persecute you. Paul, later on in Acts, in Acts 14, 22, he even says this, it's through many tribulations or trials, we must enter the kingdom of God. To be a Christian means there is suffering. Now Ananias obeys the Lord, and he departs. And he enters the house on Straight Street, and he lays his hands on him, and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking some food, he was strengthened. I love that the scales fell from his eyes. Not only did God grant him 
the ability to see physically, that his eyes could actually work again. But God gave him the ability to see spiritually, to see the truth of Jesus Christ. Because previously, he did not see Jesus. He couldn't see him. God removed the scales, and then he could see him. I love that it says immediately he got baptized. This is the repent and be baptized. There doesn't need to be a long process between that. It is repent and be baptized. Um, so I love that we have a tank up today um, to celebrate baptism. And Saul got baptized right away. Then um, it says, For some days he was with the disciples in Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed, and they said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem for those who call on this name? And has he not come here for the same purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. In verse 23 it says, When many days had passed, which is, um, as Paul tells us in Galatians 1, I think verse 17, is actually three years so Paul was in Damascus and the area around there for about three years, and then we get to this verse, when many days had passed, so many, many days, um, the Jews plotted to kill him. Because what happens when you come up against something that you can't argue with? You know, they had the conversations, they had the debates, and yet he was confounding them. They had no other option. They just, okay, we ought to get rid of him. I mean, they did that with Jesus, they did that with Stephen, now they do that with Paul. They plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. And they were watching the gates. That word watching is actually guarding. They had placed guys at every gate, day and night, to watch for him in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And he went to Jerusalem. He came to Jerusalem and he attempted to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. For they did not believe that he was a disciple. Yeah. Coming back to your home, not home base, but basically his home base of persecution, you know. Yeah. But Barnabas, ah, oh, love Barnabas, took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to him how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Man, it's really cool that later on, um, when Paul is like sent out on his like missionary journeys, it's Paul and Barnabas that go together. Um, I kind of feel like this is like an awesome brotherhood that kind of started here, where Paul's like, "Man, they're not letting me go talk to Peter." Barnabas is like, "I got you," you know, brings him in to talk to Peter, and there's this connection that happens. Um, so he went in, and Barnabas, you know, vouched for him and said, "Hey, this is what happened." Um, so he went in and he went in and out among them at Jerusalem. Um, after he was vouched for, and he was preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, or the Greek-speaking Jews. Um, but they, because they couldn't argue with him, were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and then sent him off to Tarsus, which is his hometown. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So it grew. We have this fascinating story of a dude who was so intent 
on taking down the church. It was like his sole purpose, like he breathed it to destroy the church. And yet, in one moment, God changed that. In my research and study, I came across a verse that I hadn't really took note of before. Um, 1 Timothy 1, uh, verses 3 kind of to 16, I'll kind of put some of them together. This is, this is Saul, or Paul, um, talking about himself. And he says, Formerly, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. But I received mercy for this reason. So this is why he received mercy and was saved. That Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who will believe. Paul received mercy for this reason, that Jesus Christ might be able to display his perfect patience as an example for us to look at, for us who believe. Paul's life is an example to us, to me, to you, of how perfectly patient our God is. Now, I mean, I think of like, Patience, you know, if you think of somebody who's like really patient, you're already thinking like, okay, that's, that's pretty good. But if you put perfectly in front of that, perfectly patient, to the perfect amount, I, man, that's, that changes it a little bit. Because God is perfectly patient with us. He's not prone to anger. He's patient. See, I find it interesting because Paul wasn't just living in rebellion to God. You know, just being like, okay, God, you're over there. I don't want anything to do with you. I'm just going to do my own thing, you know, indulge in the sinful desires of the flesh. No, Paul was actually actively, vehemently seeking the destruction of God's church, of his children. He was breaking down doors, dragging mothers and fathers throwing them in jail and then voting that they should be killed. If God can take a person like that and in one moment change the trajectory of their life to be completely sold out for him, you know that he can do that in my life and your life. Paul's life is an example to us of how God can do that, of how perfectly patient he is. His life is to be an example for us to be encouraged. That in a single moment, a single encounter with Jesus, God can take someone and flip them upside down and they become one of the greatest gospel evangelists in history. See, I find this, this, this is crazy. Paul wasn't a seeker. He was not looking for answers. He wasn't like Googling online, okay, you know, how or whatever. Like, he wasn't having great conversations with his Christian friends. He wasn't reading the, the newest, you know, Reasons for God book. 
He wasn't seeking. He was set in his ways. He was determined in his thought and his mind. And then he met Jesus. See, no one gave him a really good answer to a debate that he was having. It wasn't through intellectual ideas, because he wasn't open to it. He was completely set against God and the church. And then God met him. He had a personal encounter with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So you know, you know what this tells me? That no one, no one is too far gone for God. There is not a single person that is too far gone for God to save. He can save anyone. Even someone who is completely fighting against him with 100% of their life. Now, if we knew somebody like that today, maybe you can think of somebody who you think is really fighting against the church. Do you believe that God could change it in an instant? Oh, I don't know, God, they're really set in their ways. Like, we need to have some friendship evangelism. We need to, you know, build this dialogue between them. Now, do you believe that in a moment, one encounter with Jesus can change everything? That's the truth. God can save anyone. Now, I like what Isaiah 59.1 says. Um, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. I like how Matt Chandler puts it. He's like, God don't got no T-Rex arms, right? Like, he has a long arm that can reach into anyone's life to save them. That is who God is. So I guess my question for you this morning is, who's that person in your life that you can think of that you think's too far gone? Maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's somebody that you've been praying for for years, but you've just kind of given up hope on. Do not believe the lie that God can't save them, because he can. We need to expand our understanding of who God is. Because I think so often we take God and we're just like, okay, this is, this is what he does. And we don't put him in the proper place of his awesome power and wonder and majesty that's beyond what we can comprehend and understand. We think, okay, we can understand who God is and how he operates. No. He is far above. And it's amazing that he gives us... <laughs> these bits of truth that we can hold on to. That he can save anyone, anywhere, in a moment. Maybe it's you. Maybe you think that you're too far gone for God to save. No. You're not. He delights in forgiveness. And the exaltation of his son, Jesus Christ. Because that's what it is. When we come to him, what does it do? It glorifies Jesus. 
Because the only way we can come to him is because of Jesus. God delights in that. It's his desire to wash you clean. So I stand here today to tell you that you are not too far gone. No one is too far gone for Jesus. But I mean, the real question is, do we believe that? Do we believe that he has the power to save those people that are really hard? Oh, yeah, he does. It says this um, in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's pretty simple. You confess with your mouth, you say it. Jesus, you are Lord. And you believe it in your heart. And you're saved. Like, I love, I love that statement. Jesus is Lord. Because that word Lord is, he's the boss. He's, he's the master. He's the, he's the king. He's, he's who I serve. Um, he's, he gets it all. He's the highest authority there is above every single thing. That's, that's Lord. Jesus is Lord. And I love the little word, is, because it doesn't say Jesus was Lord. It doesn't say Jesus will be Lord. It says Jesus is here and now Lord. He is alive and risen and reigning on his throne. So when we say Jesus is Lord, we are declaring that he was raised from the dead. Maybe that's something that, that you need to say today. Maybe it's something that you need to give everything to him. Because he is good and he is patient and he is kind. You know what I love about this story is that um, Saul was immediately baptized and then it says um, immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying he is the son of God. Immediately, Paul, Saul, started saying, Jesus is Lord. And I know, I met him. And I'm telling you, Jesus is Lord. And he is powerful enough to save anyone, no matter what we think. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your son. And we thank you for your perfect patience. Oh, I thank you for your perfect patience in my life. God, I pray that in our hearts and our minds, we would we'd put you back in the place of awesome wonder and power that you um, truly deserve and who you truly are. God, I pray that we would believe um, that you can save anyone, anywhere, in a moment. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. Well, how I want to end this morning um, is a little bit different. We don't have the band coming back up. Um, but I want to take a minute or two, maybe just a minute, 30 seconds, um, but I want us to take some time and just, just quiet our hearts and our minds um, to hear from God if there is someone he wants us to pray for or someone that he wants to say, I can save this person. 
Um, so I'm going to just be quiet for 30 seconds, and I'll just say, just God, who is it? Um, and just, just hear from him. Um, and then I'll pray to, to end as well. So, Father God, bring um, names to our minds of people that you want us to pray for. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. I had a friend in high school who um, turned his back on the Lord and just ran, ran away. And I was trying my best to reach out to him, and he wouldn't return my calls, wouldn't return any messages. It was just like completely cut off. And God was like, just pray. Okay. Prayed. Um, last year, he gave me, gave me a phone call. And it was my friend on the other line. And I was just like, this is very out of the blue. Um, and he's like, you know what? I need to call and ask for your forgiveness because I completely pushed you aside and rejected you because I didn't want anything to do with God. But he's like, God met me and has changed my heart. And I was just like, man, God can save anyone anywhere at any time. Like, like I had given up, I had given up hope on him. Um, but then God showed me. He's like, no, don't give up hope. He's like, I can do it. Um, so I want to encourage you with that. Um, yeah, if, uh, if you want, we are going to have people that will be down here to um, pray with you. I would encourage you, pray in, in, your, um, in your seats uh, or with the person beside you. For if, if God brought someone to mind, take the time to pray for them. Or maybe he brought them to mind to challenge you, to be like, you know, do you think I can save this person? It's like, ooh, maybe he can um, so, to end, if you all would stand up, um, you can stretch your legs. Um, there's this awesome verse uh, in Ephesians where it says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all you could hope for or ask. I love that it says exceedingly, abundantly, more. Because it is more than we can even comprehend. Like, God can do it, guys. Um, now, to him be all praise and glory and honor in the church forever. Um, Lord God, I pray a blessing <laughs> upon your people. Lord, I thank you so much for them. Lord, I pray that your spirit would pour out through them um, to show your greatness and your love and your wonder and your majesty. God, we pray that uh, in the name of Jesus, you would help our hearts and minds understand your true power um, and your true awesomeness, God. We thank you for your love. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for this day and what you've given us. We pray that we'd use it for your glory and your honor, God. In the name of Jesus. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Go in peace.